What's going on, nerds? Before we get to this episode of Nerds on History, I want to take a second to talk to you guys about our other podcast, Nerds on Film. Every week, Brian, Sarah, and myself talk about movies, we make some jokes, and we say a lot of bad words. And if you're a fan of bad words, you're going to want to go listen to that podcast after you're done listening to this one, because Nerds on History won't let us say f- c- mother f- huge d- in tiny little ass, or b- enjoy. Hey, man. Hey, Brian. Thank you Evan, so thank much. thank you so much. No, no, thank you. Thank you for having me back here. It means no, a lot to no me. No problem. Uh, where's Eric? What? What are you talking about? You don't know? No. No what? Why does everyone not pay attention? Look, Eric is in a coma. What? Yeah, he was shot four weeks ago. Oh, my God. By who? We don't know, but we really appreciate you coming. Um, cause yeah, I, of course. I don't, I'm not sure Eric is going to... He's going to make it. His vitals are not looking good. <sighs> I, well, you know, I hope they catch whoever did this to him. I certainly hope so, too. It's kind of tough because, God, the police aren't doing anything. I'm having to, I'm having to do all the detective work on my own. <sighs> That's not going to end well. Thank you? We want the police's help is all I'm saying. Uh-huh. And it's tough because, I mean, all we know is that he was shot with a 9mm pistol, okay. semi-automatic, and that he had loud shoes. And I don't even know if it's a he. I'm pointing toward a he. Okay. But it's could be a she, but huh. 90% it's a he. Well, hey, 90%, that's that's a really good 87. number. 87.5. 87.5. 87.5%. That's a better number. Sure. It's more specific. It's got more decimal places. That makes it a better number. Yeah. It's funny because I think I saw a glimmer of him walk, running out the window, and he was kind of your height. Do you, um, do you have hard-soled shoes? Me? Yeah. No. No, not at all. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I had one once upon a time, but I lost them. You lost them? Yeah, like just like a week ago. Really? Yeah. Any uh, history with firearms? Oh, um, just curious. No, just the one, the one the, experience. The one experience. Which, 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 which one would that be? Uh, it was about four weeks ago, and uh, I'm, it's it's real embarrassing. I found a gun and I shot myself in the thigh. In the thigh? Yes. In the thigh? Yes, in the thigh. And I'm not in a coma. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. And if you haven't already figured out at this point, uh, Eric Brickmont is near dead. Now, he's he's been on paternity leave and doing great with the new baby girl, Amelia He'll be back, actually, I think next week. Hurrah! We kind of live in two realities. We have the one reality where, uh, the reality of the cold open in which Eric is nearly dead, and then the reality of, well, just the, the reality of reality mm-hmm. uh, in which he is just taking a month off to be with his family. And so to wrap up this month of mystery guests, we'd like to bring back a person who's never actually been on Nerds on History, but has been on Nerds on Film before. Once upon a time. And we've always, like we told you, everyone who has been on this podcast has been on Nerds on Film at some point in time. So, uh, welcoming back uh, a friend and fellow actor and also history buff, Evan Schumacher. Thank you for having me here, Brian. It's great to be back in the nerd cave. Thank you. It even smells like nerd. <laughs> We're trying to work on that. So, before we uh, we jump into this, I'm just curious, for those who, who don't know you, what, why do you love history so much? I think it's it's the best learning tool we have period. Um, just to look at what other people have done before us to uh, kind of stand on the shoulders of giants. 
uh, to use a, a common phrase. And I think that to ignore it or to pretend it didn't happen, whatever whatever kind of history we're talking about, is just rude, Brian. It's just rude to do that. Okay. Well, we're not going to... Oh, I'm not saying you are, but teach, I'm saying... Teach their own. I'm not, that's all I'm going to say. Let's get into some listener feedback. This week in listener feedback. Yeah, we have one from... Uh, he calls himself or herself the seventy six. <laughs> what? What's so funny about that? Really? You feel the need to say that name on air? Okay, that's great. Just... Well, we always say who delivers the feedback. So, I mean, is that okay. wrong for us to? <laughs> no, wrong is not the word I'm looking for. But just you know, okay. Let's let's hear what the <laughs> has to say. Um, the title of the review. It's a five star review. Says great history podcast. It says that this is great. It's what Stuff You Missed in History Class would be like if it were hosted by Josh and Chuck from Stuff You Should Know. A great listen. Highly recommend. That's awesome to hear. It really is. Thanks, Gooch. And we're, we are very thankful to the folks at iTunes who have decided to uh, consistently put us on History Corner on the iTunes store. I think we're still there. In fact, we are still there, at least of, as of this recording, so... It's given us a lot more listeners, and the wider of an audience we reach, the, the more we get to continue to do this kind of thing. So we're very happy about that. And that's the only feedback we have this week, believe it or not. It's been kind of light. So We would be nothing without the g- is what Brian's trying to say. Yes, that is, I think, kind of what I was implying. And by that, he's meaning all of you guys, all of our listeners who do give us that consistent feedback. We, we love it. Let's jump into the topic, shall we? We've been talking about Unsolved Mysteries this whole month. And last week, when we covered Atlantis, we decided to take a little bit of a left turn and talk about unsolved mysteries that aren't really unsolved, but I think the the mass populace don't know that yet. So uh, I think we'd like to really wrap this up with uh, another one, another probably one of the best unsolved mysteries in American history, uh, which is that of Amelia Earhart. Yes, and uh, and what really attracted me to Amelia Earhart is just actually in the last ten years the amount of stuff that's come out about maybe where she landed and where what her eventual fate was, and we'll get into that as we go on. But um, she's always fascinated me as an individual just because of the kind of person she was and the kind of hole she left in American aviation. Right, right. And when you have a person who is that iconic, you do have to make a distinction between the legend and the fact. And even though Amelia Earhart is only, I think she disappeared, what, 70 years ago at this point? Uh, 75. 75 years ago. 1937. Okay, so nevertheless, there are people who are still alive who remember her uh, when she was around, right? So it's still within semi-recent memory. Mm -hmm. So even in that point in time, you would not expect legends to have developed, but they have. The biggest one is about her flying career, Um, but we'll get to that in a a little bit. Maybe we should find out, you know... A little bit more about Amelia Earhart, how she came to be a person, uh, kind of her growing up, and what influenced her to even tackle such an amazing career. I agree, yeah, because she had one path, and then she kind of went into aviation, and that's where it all just kind of changed for her. So why don't we start with, yeah, where, where is she from, what was her family like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, she grew up in a pretty seemingly normal family to begin with. She was born in Kansas in 1897 in Atchison, Kansas. Atchison, Kansas, Atchison, yes. Kansas, uh, where pretty much everything in that town is named after her to this day. Wow. Um, it's it's the list of everything is, is mostly Atchison, Kansas. But she grew up, she had a younger sister, uh, and, and the way that you know reports and various biographies have kind of mentioned it was that Amelia was the one in charge. Her sister, Grace... Uh, was kind of like would be the one to kind of follow her around and do whatever kind of she did. Uh, but Amelia was in charge and she was uh, strong headed. And her mother, Amy, basically raised her two girls to 
not be, you know, nice little girls. She wanted them to be the kind of people they were going to become, uh, which at the time, you know, turn of the century, 1900, was a crazy kind of notion. No, this is very true because, you know, at this point in time, women had a very set expectation of how they were to behave and what they were to do. Everyone had a very important station in life, and to see her mother kind of reject that, it's kind of like it teams of the whole women's suffrage yeah. movement. And, you know, I, th- I really think that her mother kind of influenced the kind of route she took because, I mean, from what we know, uh, from, you know, reports from her uncles and, her, you know, her cousins and things like that, her and her sister, you know, they played outside. They got dirty. They didn't care. It was, it was they had a wonderful little existence in Kansas and they, they did whatever they wanted to. Well, not like whatever. Like, they didn't like murder people. Um, <laughs> like, hey, Amelia, what'd you do today? Oh, nothing. Killed like two or three people. Yeah, no, they, they, oh, okay, they were just, uh, I mean, having, for I, I for those listeners that don't know, I grew up on a farm in Nebraska, and the kind of things we did as children, like, you know, we just ran outside, got played in the mud, did whatever we want, kept frogs in jars and, you know, caught lightning bugs, and that was our life. And I, I could really, I could really see that, you know, they had a fun childhood where they really got to explore, and that yeah. sense of exploration. <laughs> you can almost imagine if she was, I'm sorry, now that you said this whole murder thing, it's, it's, it's totally dark, but can you, you can only imagine, like, someone doing, like, that this is all hidden, and that someone writes the expose biography, Amelia Earhart, pilot, cold-blooded murderer. <laughs> That's coming in the second half hour of our program today. But, I mean, just kind of, uh, to kind of go back and, and talk about, you know, growing up, you know, it was a really interesting time in American history. You know, turn of the century. Sure. Um, the Wright brothers kind of just creating their first plane, and she didn't actually see her first plane until uh, 1908. But considering that's only five years after the first recorded flight of the Wright brothers, that's that's awesome. So. I know it's it's a crazy leap in technology, and, and it's kind of uh, related to what we're experiencing today with the growth of computers, and you know, in our lifetime. Right. Sure. It had to have been astounding for them to to see that. Sure. But she she saw her first plane in 1908, and uh, her father's recorded reaction uh, for her was, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot going on in America at this time. You have the Spanish-American War. Uh, you've got the sobriety movement is is starting to to gain steam. It didn't really hit. I think it's peak until 1920 right. with the the 20th Amendment, uh, or is it the 19th Amendment? It's one of the amendments. I know. <laughs> Just record one take of saying both of them, and yeah, you can't be the wrong. The 19th Amendment. This is what we never recorded on a Sunday afternoon. By the way, we always record at night, and this is like <laughs> the last time I remember us recording on a Sunday afternoon was the first ever episode of Nerds on History. Oh wow! No. Kidding. So that brings you back. It does bring we're bringing you back. it back old school, Brian. Exactly. Yeah. And because I have rehearsed tonight. Yeah. I think because we're less tired and more silly. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> we digress. Continue, sir. So kind of, I mean, moving forward with her education, I mean, she had, she was homeschooled most of her life, like a lot of kids in rural areas about that time. And uh, her father actually worked for the railroad and they moved around a lot. They, you know, they moved from, from Atchison to Des Moines to St. Paul, Minnesota. They, they really moved around. He had to make a name for himself in the railroad at the time because that was another booming industry at this point in America as well. Of course. I mean, if it wasn't for the railroads, we wouldn't have had intercontinental transportation, right? The, Absolutely. It was a major part of the tail end of the Industrial Revolution. And so many men made billions of dollars, what would have been billions of dollars off of this kind of practice. Yeah, and even uh, even even her father made a lot of money off this practice, and he, he made a lot of money off this business. But he had a secret. Yes, he had a secret. It turns out that he was actually a, a raging alcoholic. Maybe, maybe that's a little strong, but he was an alcoholic, and it started showing at work. Uh, and eventually, in 1914, they asked him to stop working for the railroad. Yeah. Um, it also the same year that... Uh, Amelia's grandmother passed away, and her family fortune, which I, I couldn't really find any where that came from, uh, but that went into a trust so her father wouldn't drink it away. 
Yeah. Well, that's kind of unfortunate. <laughs> it's really that sad that you're thinking that the addiction is that severe that the entire fortune could go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole addiction to alcohol from her father did actually lead her mother to take the two girls and leave at one point, a little bit, a couple years down the road. Yeah. Um, but, but for now, you know, this is actually the first time where Amelia and her sister went to a normal high school with oh. actual people. So, uh, yeah, the, the whole rich girl who now has to live as a blue-collar uh, uh, middle-class To some extent, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Fish she, out of water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she went, she went to high school. She was, she was extremely interested in the sciences. Uh, she was kind of a loner uh, mm-hmm. from what people say. Even they found yearbooks that uh, people had wrote that she was um, A.E., the girl in brown who walks alone. And she just uh, she didn't really care for a lot of people in these schools, but what she did care for was learning. I mean, this girl loved to learn. Uh, yeah. She was enamored with sciences and chemistry, and actually switched high schools because she compared the chemistry lab to a kitchen sink. She said it wasn't good enough, and she went to a school with a better chemistry lab. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, I she love it. she and for the time, especially for in this time for a woman to be like, hey, I want to learn science. That's yeah. like even nowadays. I mean. To own her education like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, my fiance is a theoretical chemist, so I'm totally used to women loving science. But at this time, and I I have a lot of female friends that were turned off at science at a young age. Mm -hmm. And for Amelia Earhart to just throw herself full force into it is great. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah, it's been recorded from a very young age that she wanted to have a career in a completely male-dominated field. That was her goal. That was was one of her main goals. And she she tried a lot of things, medicine, uh, law, and she tried everything because she just loved to learn. I think that's, that really speaks to the kind of person she was. Yeah. She wanted to make herself better. And that's, that's interesting. What I find really captivating is that when you look at the perspective of that, she separated from her, her father. And I think it sounds like granted, I'm not a psychiatrist, uh, but it is interesting to kind of draw inferences from the events that took place. You know, if she had any, any sort of close relationship with her father, you would almost think that the separation from him and from her normal life would kind of drive her inward, make her more introverted. And that might explain why she became so studious. Yeah, at that uh, point absolutely. In time. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, she, she graduated high school like a normal kid. And then, uh, of course, throughout this time, World War One was happening. Oh, yeah. So we can't forget that. Uh, and she actually became a nurse in Toronto, Canada for a couple of years. She's unbelievable. Like, yeah. She just does what she wants. It's so cool. Do what she wants. And also, like, in 1917 and 1918, of course, the Spanish flu thing was happening. And in 1918, Toronto yeah. got hit by it, and she actually got hit pretty hard, too. Yeah. Well, she was uh, one of the lucky people to survive. Because, yeah, from our episode 50 Shades of Black Death, we talked about how many people were killed by that. And Yeah, no, she spent, pretty. she spent quite a number of months working in the hospital, taking care of people until she got sick herself, continued working for another two months until she had to be hospitalized. Herself, and then she uh, eventually lived out the next year, pretty much all of 1919, I believe, in her sister's house, recovering. Uh, but even then, it was, what's amazing, she, she passed her time by studying poetry, learning to play the banjo, and, like, studying mechanics. Like, she didn't stop. Like, she's just a juggernaut of learning and trying to take in the world around her. She was motivated, for sure. Yes. Yeah. She eventually went to school for medicine, but dropped out to spend time with her parents, who did reunite at about 1919, 1920. Okay. Uh, that, that only lasted about five years till the divorce for good. Oh, um, okay. But, she, you know, she still loved her parents. She was close to them. And then 1920 was the first time that she took a ride in an airplane. Mm. She, paid t- she paid $10 at the time, uh, which, because you know, uh, that calculates to about $123 in 2014 money. Okay. Uh, so it's like a, booking a flight to L.A. It's like her. booking a flight to L.A. She took a plane ride. 
and she loved it. Interesting. From that point on, she worked odd jobs, including a truck driver and you know whatever she could find to save a thousand dollars for flight school. That's what we call the aha moment, right? It all kind of came together for her. Yeah, she found out what she <clears throat> wanted to do. So she saved a thousand dollars, and her mother took her to this flight school, which is actually being taught by a female instructor. Right on. This yeah. is so great. Uh, and the records say that she went to the flight instructor said, I want you to teach me to fly. And handed over the money, and so began her, her career of flying. Yeah, only only two years after that that moment, might have been 18 months, I, I, there's not a date for the her st- starting flight school. But on October 22nd, 1922, she set a world record for female pl- pilots for an altitude of 14,000 feet. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, and I have to kind of digress for a second because it's... She says set world record for female pilots because at the time the records were being kept separate. And okay. actually the female pilots that were coming into the industry were pretty huge proponents of that to keep the world record separate for women and for men. I, I couldn't find any reasoning why that is. If, if, any, if any of you out there are listening and know exactly why, we'd love to know. Sure. Uh, just kind of a little bit of trivia. At that point in history, the total world record for men was 34,000 feet Okay. in, in the same type of plane, the same uh, propeller plane. Gotcha. Um, really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. It's, it's a fascinating point in time in, in aviation when they're starting to calculate records because they're keeping records for different types of planes. And as new planes are being invented, right. they fall into different categories. And 30,000 feet, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's the altitude that a lot of com- commercial airliners uh, fly at now. That's like the substratosphere. Yeah, that sounds about so, right. Yeah. But yeah, only six months after she, she set that record, uh, she got her pilot's license. Wow. And was the 16th woman in the world to do so. Wow. So yeah, it's there. There was her, that the woman that taught her, and then fourteen others <laughs> until that point. So okay, let's just recap for a second because yeah. we're only about <clears throat> fifteen twenty minutes in, and we've already established that she came from money, lost all her money. She became a war nurse when she was sounds like maybe late teenager. Then she had her first flying lesson casually, and now she's one of, one of a handful of women in the world who can legally fly a plane. Correct. And she did this by what age? Uh, so sh- 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 let me do math in my head quick. Uh, she would have been 26. Wow. I feel totally underaccomplished. I know, right? I'm turning 26 this year, and, <sighs> and okay, I didn't even fly by the way, a toy plane. And by the way, she kicked Spanish Flu's ass, too. Yes. Um, by, well, by learning while she yeah. was recovering. Yeah, and, and actually the whole Spanish Flu thing actually continued to affect her for the rest of her life. I'm sure, yeah. Um, she, because she had many sinus surgeries that now would have been taken care of by Sudafed, that she actually have, had sometimes had to have a draining tube out her cheek. Really? That she had to cover with a bandage while she was flying. Interesting. Yeah. So there, she was doing all these flights, <clears throat> still while still kind of recovering from the Spanish flu, or still having this, some casualties of that Spanish flu. Man, like if you love it that much, nothing is going to get in the way. That's, Absolutely. <clears throat> that's unbelievable. That's so cool. Yeah. But by 1924, all that money that her grandmother set aside for her in the trust was gone, mm. and she had to find a way to make a living. No, but knowing Amelia so far, I'm sure she did. Yeah, she actually, <laughs> I, like, all simultaneously, she started a photography company. Um, she sold two of her airplanes and downsized and bought a smaller one. She, she wasn't going to give up. And she, you know, was also, at this point, her, her and her mother were wait, kind wait, of in okay, together. Hang on, hang on. So she's yeah. a photographer, too, at this point. Well, she started a photography company. I mean, Take that as you will. You, you would assume that she would have some sort of interest in that or maybe some proficiency in that if she was yeah, going to start her I mean, own company. It also could be, at the, you know, if you kind of, again, relate it into our time, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to build an app because right. everybody's doing it. You know? Sure. And yeah, it was yeah. probably pretty easy to get the starting materials to do it. Um, I, I, I think that actually ended up being a failure 
um, uh, her photography well, uh, company. Know. But, you know, whatever. That's fine. So, you know, a great, great at flying, not so great at photography. Okay? Yes. I think she's human. That's Yes, she's human. Yeah. But what blows me away is, like, there's the old saying that, you know, a, a jack-of-all-trades is a master of none. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who just, this isn't true for. And I feel like for her, with the exception of photography, you're like, she definitely disproves that saying. It's just, just unbelievable the kind of things she's done already at this point in time. It just blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was 1924 that her parents finally divorced. Okay. Um, so she, uh, it says here that she um, sold her planes and she ended up buying a uh, a two-passenger automobile and she drove her mother across the country. And this actually makes total sense, too, because if you're thinking about the fact that you're in the <clears throat> the roaring 20s at this point in time, so you're dealing with a couple things, sexual revolution, economic prosperity, ironically, even though they've lost all, the, all of their trust money, America is doing pretty well financially. Divorce was still kind of a, a no-no, but yet wasn't as... Shamed. It was still happening. It was still happening, exactly. It just it paints a very interesting picture at this point. And now you see, you know, this road trip, this almost like this could be a story in of itself, her tricking her mom. Yeah, across absolutely. the country. I would love to see a movie of that starring <clears throat> Ga- Zach Galvanakis as Amelia Earhart. I think that'd be a great <laughs> film. But he has to keep the beard. Oh, well yeah. No, there are pictures of her with a beard, it's true. Oh. Um well. <laughs> but we'll get into that later. <laughs> I mean, eventually, she she did what a lot of women did at the time. She was she started trying to be a teacher. Uh, sure. That didn't really pan out. So then she was a social worker uh, for a while in Massachusetts. And wow. just trying to make a living. And she still wanted to fly. She always wanted to fly. Uh, and she joined, you know, a couple of aeronautical societies. And she wanted to make societies specifically for female pilots. Right. Um, and then she was a sales rep for uh, an aircraft in the Boston area for a while. Right. Um, so she did a lot of things. She was... Uh, but what really kind of propelled her to stardom and celebrity. Right. Because at this point in time, I mean, aviation was more or less... A novelty. A novelty. It was it was a hobby, an expensive hobby that you oh, could yeah. do. This is before commercial aviation mm-hmm. even took was, I think, affordable at this point in time. Oh, yeah. It wasn't... I don't think that was affordable until at least the 1930s or 40s. So yeah, so what was the moment? I'm sorry. I cut you off. What no, was no, the moment? No, no. It's fine. It, it, it made it for good suspense, Brian. She actually started writing local newspaper columns about flying and about her experiences flying and people loved them they they ate it up that this you know that oh this woman is flying and you know she's a good a good enough writer to uh to talk about it but that's what got her noticed by about 1928 okay and can you tell me what happened in 1927 brian not to her but just in general 1927 you have charles Lindbergh making the first transatlantic flight solo flight solo flight so they had done it in groups but he was just like screw it i'm going on my own for those of you who don't know, solo means by yourself. Thank you, Evan. Thank you so much. But yeah, so he, he flew across the Atlantic by himself, which is a huge deal. And Amy Phipps guest, who was, um, she wanted to be the first woman to do it, but she decided it was too dangerous. Okay. So she got a man named George Putnam to help her out to find a woman to do it. Mm, George Putnam. Yes, interesting. Yeah. This, this gentleman. Yeah, George, remember that name. Write it down on your guys' sticky notes as it you guys are running. It will come into play later. Yes. So they found Amelia through these news clippings, through these stories that she'd been writing about, you know, uh, her flying. So they decided, okay, well, let's get her to do it. Uh, they got a, a, a co-pilot named Wilmer Stultz and a co-pilot named Lewis Gordon, and who was also a mechanic. So they had three people. So Wilmer was going to be the co-pilot, and Gordon was going to be the uh, the mechanic on the flight, as well as the guy that kind of kept the log. Because this, this whole flight... It's it's a long flight because now what does it take like what about sixteen hours? Uh, no, transatlantic from from east coast of, of uh, United States to west coast yes, of like London. Yes, yeah, say New York to London. About eight hours. Eight hours, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I've never been to London. If you haven't been able to know that. Um, or maybe maybe it's five. 
It's, it's between five. five. It's between no. five and eight. It's between five and eight. No, it's it takes five to get cross country. Okay, so it's at least ten. Let's 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 round it off at eight. Let's just do that. Eight and a half. Yeah. We, no, it's funny. We, we're surrounded by technology. We could totally look look up Google Maps right now, but we're not. We're just gonna. I, I just want listener feedback to prove us wrong. <laughs> Make us look like like a bunch of chumps. <laughs> but um, but so at, at the time, so they 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 took the flight. Uh, they they got in. They took off. But there was a problem. Not not a huge problem. It's just that the uh, the kind of fl- plane they were flying, Amelia was relatively unfamiliar with. Uh, right, and, and so, also the equipment she was unfamiliar with too, right? Yes, the equipment that that, that actually ran the plane that did it was, it was more instrument based than it was um, like knobs and levers, as far as I can tell. And, gotcha. Um, more like a commercial aircraft would be yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, and when they uh, so when they landed, they landed in Southampton, um, and they uh, <laughs> Amelia said, "Well, you know, he did all the flying. I didn't do anything." But all the same, she's still the first woman to be in the fl- cockpit <laughs> to be in the cockpit to ha- to have flown across the Atlantic. Okay. So the legend is that she flew across the Atlantic. We think of it as she flew across very much like how Charles Lindbergh Yes, that comes did. later. But she was there. She was in the cockpit co-piloting, basically. Yes. She was technically the pilot on paper, but she was co-pilot in actuality. Gotcha. Um, History but- reveals itself. Yes. Uh, thanks to the internet. Now, what this did do for her, because it did do something for her. It actually you know, propelled her to the status of a celebrity. Sure, of course. She right. would be our Zach, Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> of all the parallels you have to draw, that would be, that's the one you draw. It wouldn't be like Julia Roberts, or it wouldn't be like Meryl Streep, or Florence Griffith Joyner. You know, another like female icon. It's Zach Galifianakis. I'm a realist, Brian. Okay. I call him like I see him. <laughs> yeah, she actually had a very small series of novels called Between Two Planes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Where she'd interview celebrities and yeah. make awkward uh, um, comments. And, and, uh, and she was she was in a movie, uh, a silent movie called The Night I Had Too Much to Drink. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just the, that, that, that image is, is funny. They lost the co-pilot and they have to, they have to go back. <laughs> Otherwise, she can't fly home because the instruments are too complex. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and write a screenplay where Zach Galifianakis <laughs> tries to get a, a script produced with him as Amelia Earhart. Now that's what's gonna happen. That's amazing. This is what you get when you have two actors doing doing the podcast. We come up with an idea for a ridiculous movie. That means I copyrighted it. Um, yeah. But it, it did make her a celebrity. Uh, she met the president. She started taking gigs uh, as a, as basically a, a spokesperson. Yeah. Uh, like we see Samuel L. Jackson as um, you know the what's in your wallet kind of guy. Yeah, pretty much. So she, she she does it for for Lucky Strike and, for for chewing gum for so many things. And who was responsible for all these in public endeavors? That would be that gentleman we talked about, George Putnam. George Putnam, right, right, right. And why is he significant? Well, he becomes her husband. Yes. Right? The Amelia, the famous Amelia Earhart. We don't talk about him very much, but he was kind of the the guy, the mover and the shaker, right? That was getting yeah. her. Career. He was essentially her manager. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you if you look him up, his his career titles are basically author and promoter. Like yeah. he, he wrote books. He um he he wrote a book about what happens later, as you'll probably assume. Um, but he was a promoter, and he was her promoter. Also, after he was divorced, and I think nineteen twenty nine, he fell in love with her, and he he divorced his wife and proposed to Amelia Hart, not once but six times. Six times. Yeah, I mean, can you take a hint, dude? Considering the picture we painted thus far of Amelia Earhart. She she does what she wants. Yes. So you know, obviously, if it took him six times, she she saw something in him. Yeah. 
that was worth keeping around. Yes, and you know they 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 were together <clears throat> for those two years. Like they they spent a lot of their time together, and she liked him from what we can tell, whatever that means. Um, but which she also, when they did get married, she kept her name. That's true. She kept flying under Earhart. Exactly. Uh, she kept everything under Earhart. Didn't even have a pseudonym as. Oh, as I thought Pat- it was just public. No, like it was like her quote unquote stage name. But she actually didn't change her name at all. As uh, far as I can tell, she did not change her name. She refused to take his name, and he was totally cool with that. Interesting. They had a very interesting relationship. You said that there was a letter that we were getting ready to do this that they exchanged. Yeah, recently someone someone somewhere had said that they uh, found some letters, and uh, what she had said to him, and I quote. I want you to understand I shall not hold you to any medieval code of faithfulness to me, nor shall I consider myself bound to you similarly. Which is another word saying you can sleep with who you want and I'll sleep with who I want and none will be none the wiser. Basically. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. And you know, that you know, that, that leads to all sorts of rumors about, you know, who she actually preferred, but Yeah, and there's also rumors about her sexuality as yeah. well. I think some people speculate that she was in fact, I think, either bisexual or potentially uh, just lived lived secretly as a lesbian yeah. as well. It's hard to say. I mean, at that time, that was definitely not something you would talk about or even yeah. acknowledge. What I do find really interesting is that in this whole time where she had become this this yes. massive spokesperson, is that she she started a clothing line. She designed her own flight suit that was kind of loose, more comfortable for women to wear. Mm-hmm. And she'd also become the spokeswoman for the 99s, which was the the exact organization that female pilots uh, belonged to. And it's like this organization currently has uh, pilots from 35 different countries. In it, so it's pretty cool. And it's awesome to see that she really pioneered that even more, like bringing it out there, and that we, we can fly planes too. Yes, you know? I, I cool. kind of like the same struggle, you know, about twenty years earlier when women were trying to drive. Yeah. Um, which, you know, <laughs> you know, you still hear jokes about this day about women drivers. You you hear those like that is still ingrained in American culture. Yeah, for some and there's reason. still yeah, and there's still very much a culture about uh, female pilots too. Oh, absolutely. I remember hearing this one news piece about this guy who wrote a very sexist note about the female pilot. Saying a woman should be a mother, not a not a not a pilot, and uh, she wrote a reply, an open letter back to him, saying, "Oh, I am a mother. You know, she's she's all these things." Mm-hmm. And um, it's it still blows my mind that in in the twenty first century we have these because of these cultural preconceived notions about what a woman can do and what a man can do. We feel like for some reason because a man can do it, a woman can't, and because a woman can do it, a man can't. And it's I think we're finding now that there's a lot, there's so much more gray area. Uh, between that, if not entirely a gray area. Yeah, we're, that. we're finding now what's been true all along, really. Exactly. Is that, you know, yes, there are obvious biological differences, but as she proved, if you set your mind to something, ain't nobody going to stop you. Exactly. Um, and what I also find really interesting, too, is at this point, she she had a nickname. She and kind of Charles Lindbergh had become kind of this this duo, they had this public duo yeah. where, where they were seen together a lot. And he was called Lucky Lindy because of his accomplishment with the transatlantic flight, and she became Lady Lindy. Yes. Which... Is cool, but at the same time, I could see why some feminists would would take up opposition to that because she's in his image and right. not well, I mean, reverse. Yeah. Speaking of being in, in his image, part of the reason that whole thing came about was because they actually look pretty similar. If you, if you look at two pictures of them, they have a very similar brow bone structure and eye shape. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of uncanny that two people that look that similar are some of the considered the best pilots of that era for their genders. Huh. Interesting. It does raise to mind some. Um, Maybe they're the same person, Brian. Maybe <laughs> well, that's it is the true. They were never seen in the same place at the same time, only photographed and put together. So maybe maybe, maybe it was, in fact, Amelia Earhart the whole time. Well, we'll set that aside with some other wacky theories we have later. Yeah. Um, so either you're saying at this point either Charles Lindbergh was, was a big fan of female drag or, in fact, Amelia Earhart made a very convincing man. 
Well, I you know I've read or some Willa, I've read some Willa Cather, so I know a little bit about one of those other things. Okay, I don't know if you get that reference. I don't get that reference at all. Uh, we'll talk. She, she's a Nebraskan author. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Nebraska. Oh, Pioneer. Have you read the book Oh, Pioneer? Okay, I've heard of it. Yes. We'll talk. Okay. <laughs> That's right. the next mystery podcast. Anyway, back to where we were talking about. So it's about 1930. She just married. What's his face? And George Putnam. Sure, that's his face. But uh, what she's been doing this whole time is just promoting aviation because this is still a time where like it's not considered a, a prominent form of transportation. Right. It's not like it is like there aren't millions of flights happening every day. Like people are still relying on the automobile and things like that to get around. Sure. And people aren't going from coast to coast. They're just staying put. So she's promoting aviation, whereas at the time it's basically you know like world fairs and people are doing tricks and things like that, which are very impressive, but it's not being taken seriously. And she wants to do that. Okay, yeah, because at this point, the first commercial airline didn't come until late twenties. Was like so, yeah. So you know, we're we're kind of almost at that point in time. But again, okay. it wasn't really popularized until I would say at least after World War II. Yeah, and I would say that you know she had a huge effect on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just you know the fact that aviation really kind of took off at this point, and she was she was its star. She mm-hmm. really was to some, and you know Lindbergh as well. Um, although his incident with with his child, uh, which is a whole other mystery. Oh, yeah, of course. We didn't even talk about that, that Charles Lindbergh's child was kidnapped. In 1936. Yeah. Um, um, and he, he kind of became a recluse after that. Yeah, um, he they paid this big ransom, and they never the child was never uh, returned to them. So It was found, but... It was found, but it was found dead. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that would make any celebrity kind of reclusive. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So kind of where we are, you know, it's 1930s, uh, and she, in 1932, did attempt and complete a transatlantic solo flight. She was 34 years old, and she flew from Newfoundland. Uh, and so Canada. She, yes, thank you. Um, I'm just making sure. Isn't Actually, they're their own country, aren't they? Newfoundland is part of Canada. Are they? Yeah. Huh. I know that they have a half-hour time zone. Like, they're on the half an hour. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's weird. Interesting. Um, and she landed in Ireland. And yeah, that was that was her first thing. She was uh, she was given a war from Congress. Uh, she was given something from the French government. Like everybody was loving her at this point in time. They right. thought it was just great. And after this, after, the, after really after this, solo flights became her thing. Sure. She loved flying solo flights. She was the first person to do it from Hawaii to uh, the lower forty-eight states. Right. Um, and she had she had a plane that she loved, which is Old Bessie. Old Bessie. Old Bessie. It was a, it was a it was a uh, if I can find it here. Uh, it was it was a Vega five B. Okay. Which is some sort of plane, I'm assuming. <laughs> Your powers of perception are unparalleled. I did research. You did research, indeed. Yeah, and well, really, this is also kind of part of part of her undoing, right? Because she wanted to make more records, and mm-hmm. I think the the final record that really gets us to the the mystery in of itself is her trying to fly around the world yeah. on her own in one flight. And it, uh, just you know it wasn't a solo te- attempt around the world. No, she was she did have a co-pilot, an she, engineer who was yeah. with her. Yeah. And um there was actually two attempts at this. Okay. She failed the first attempt. Uh the first attempt uh was in 1937 March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. Uh and she went from Oakland to Honolulu. Okay. That went fine. Which that's that's no small small feat. I mean that's no. that's pretty impressive. But she did it. Uh there were there were three other people in there with her. There was Noonan, uh, Harry Manning, and uh, and Mance. I don't, I can't find his first name anymore. He probably didn't have a first name. Um, <laughs> Obviously, he had a first name, but just Mance was the share of aviation. Is all I'm saying. Okay, fine, <laughs> fine. We'll just accept it, and move on. So go ahead. He, he, he eventually doesn't matter because when they when they take off in Hawaii, they they crash the plane. Ah, but the they right, survive, of course. This. Yes, everyone survives. No one dies. Uh, the right tire blew, and the mm. landing gear collapsed. Um, so they I'll, crashed as they were landing. 
I, no, I was there taking off. I was there taking Oh, wow. From okay. Honolulu. They never got out of Hawaii. Uh, and some people, including Mr. Mance, said it was her fault. Why? They, they said it was pilot error. Uh, but, and a lot of these problems that were recorded aren't, like, aren't recorded as they are today. Like, we don't know. Like, no one was taking notes of why There's the no black blew. box. There's no black point. box. But all we have is, you know, he said, she said sort of things. I'm sure. And a lot of people, well, some people say that it was her. And that's okay. Uh, Mance was not hired for the second go around. Uh, maybe he didn't want to go. Maybe it's for the best. Maybe because he was uh, talking. <laughs> Amelia Earhart, that's why. Yeah, so, you know, while they were repairing her plane, the Electra. Awesome name, but also kind of interesting. It was title. named after the Jennifer Garner movie. Oh, well. Clearly. Very anachronistic. Surprising. Yeah. Clearly, um, she was also a time traveler. In well, addition that, that's to being, coming in the theories. Yeah. But they, uh, while that was being prepared, they tried for a second attempt. Uh, they, they they got money and this time they downplayed it because they didn't want to publicize it because if what what happens if you know if she fails again like then that would yeah. start to kind of diminish her fame so this time they they start off from Oakland and they go to Miami okay uh, and I actually have our whole flight manifest in terms of you know where they go but it's not just you know straight from Oakland to Miami it's from Oakland to Arizona to Louisiana to Miami so in other words they basically would make these tiny little leapfrog. Mm-hmm. Stops to like refuel basically. And they took off May 20th, 1937, from Oakland. Uh, And once they get to Miami, they're like, okay, everything's going okay. We're going to fly around the world. We're going to be the first people to do that. Without refueling or just. Well, no. No, that's crazy, Brian. I'm just clarifying because there are some planes now that can do that. Yes, I know. But 1937, that was was witchcraft. Okay. You'd be burned at the stake. Okay. Which was still happening in parts of the U.S. at this point. Mm hmm. Evan is full of historically accurate information today, isn't he? First, you said that Amelia Earhart has a beard. Now, you're saying that witches were still being burned at the stake in the 20th century. I'm just saying there's lots you don't know. All right. Um, but yeah, from there she went, you know, from uh, from Miami to Puerto Rico, and I could bore you with everything. But she basically goes down to South America, does a cross-Atlantic flight to Africa, and then uh, going to uh, India. She's actually setting a couple records as she goes, like the first nonstop flight from the Red Sea to India. Wow. Cool. She's, she's doing these, like, there, there's probably about, uh, I would say maybe about 30 cities on this list that she stops in. And it's taken her quite a while because she lives on May 20th. And we get to the point where she ends up in Lay, Papua New Guinea. And anybody can feel free to correct me on the pronunciation, but it's L-A-E. Papua New Guinea. Um, if you don't know where that is, uh, that's just above Australia on a map. I checked it. It is, in fact. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and this is where, again, you know, something goes wrong. They take off, and they never arrive on Howland Island. They never arrive. Um, and we don't know what happened from this point on. Now, there are reports that they made vocal contact with a ship stationed on Howland Island. There are some people think that she might have turned back. Um, but what we think happened is that they did not completely refuel at Papua New Guinea. Yeah. And at this point, this is where we, we have to kind of go into speculation because we, this is what's kind of hard for us to say whether it's an unsolved mystery or not. There's a lot of evidence to say that there's no longer a reason for it to be considered unsolved. We have strong theories that support what could have happened. Yes. Right. What we just don't know is which one is the most accurate. Mm-hmm. at this point in time. So it's kind of semi-unsolved. Yeah. Now, now, just so you guys know, the distance between uh, Papua New Guinea and Howland Island is about 2,500 nautical miles. Okay. Which is a lot. Yeah. Uh, considering that from California to Arizona is only 283. 
Okay, yeah, that's it's a it's a big jump. It's a big jump, and if you don't refuel your plane, you're not gonna make it. So here, here's kind of what we have laid down. Wait, were, you, hang on, I'm sorry. Always when we get to the good part, we have to keep cutting things off. It's the temporal oh. rift. Oh wow, that's that's <clears throat> louder than I thought it was. Who is it this time? Let's see. Hello. Hello. What what am I doing here? Wait. You look oddly familiar. What? From our... Sir, state your name. My name is Charles Lindbergh. Oh my god. <laughs> this is pretty pretty impressive. Uh, wow. I flew all this way in this box. It was the first solo flight in a box to a different box. All right, yeah. A heck of an, a, an accomplishment. Um, well, I mean, do you have anything you, you want to say? Yes, I'm here to tell you one thing. I know where you can find... Great deals on audiobooks at audible.com. At audible.com. Yes. You, if, you, if you want to know more about me, and again, my name is Charles Lindbergh, you can find these great deals at audible.com. Books about me, books by me, books for me. I had a guy write a book about myself once for me. And you can get these all on Audible for a low, low price of... Uh, a subscription. A subscription. A, a monthly you, subscription. <laughs> you can get all these at a low, low price of a subscription. Yes, you can. Like a newspaper. But for audiobooks. Exactly. And if you like listening to podcasts, you probably like listening to audiobooks. So, in fact, if you go to nerdonomy.com and click on our Audible ad that's on the side of our page, you will help us out. Uh, even if you sign up for the free trial, we still get a small commission for that. That and sounds plus, about right to me, kid. Yes. Well, well, thank you, Lucky Lindy. We appreciate your... Hey! Only my wife calls me that. I'm not sure I needed to know that. Um, but you know what? Um, have, have, a, have, a safe, have a safe flight. I'm going to go from this box to a different box to a different box in the speed of light. Wish right. me luck. Good, good, good luck. Wow. That was cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, I'm, it's getting kind of old for me, I'll be honest. It's like, you know, it happens once, it's cool. It happens like eight times. You're like... <laughs> It's more more annoying than it is anything else. Have you thought about keeping them here and like keeping them in a pen and opening up a zoo? History's greatest kidnapper, (laughs) just abducting members of history. Sure, why not? Yeah, that would be. um, I'm pretty sure wrong on several levels, but it would be entertaining to say the least. I think so. Yeah. Uh, So where were we again? Uh, So uh, Amelia Earhart had just disappeared at this point. Yes. Yes. And uh, and and her uh, and her friend Fred Noonan. Fred Noonan. So it was Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan that were doing this across the world journey, and they did not transglobal. Make, transglobal. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. And they did not make it to Howland Island. Uh, and you know, Howland Island is a pretty small island. Uh, I was I was kind of looking at it on Google Maps, and like you can see the airstrip from Google Maps. Or at least I thought I could. Maybe it was a beach. Some people argue that it was just an aviation miscalculation, right? Because mm-hmm. it was so hard to see that she may not have been able to actually have landed. So some theor- theorize that she, she just flat out crashed. The two most notable theories, we'll start with the first one, is called crash and sink. That they ran out of gas, they couldn't make it to land, hit the water, and went under. And that was it. Um, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people, especially later on, uh, after they could uh, kind of analyze it, we knew a little bit more about the way that the wind patterns are infecting everything and, and kind of that, more about flight in general. A lot of people think that they just ran out of fuel and crashed. They had no other choice. Yeah. That was popular for quite a while. It still is. There's a lot of people that believe that she's done. She's gone. She's under the water somewhere. I mean, at this point, Amelia Earhart would, Earhart would have to have died. She's would have been 106 years old at this point. So like, there's no way she could still be alive. Right, yes. Yeah, so we, we know for sure... 
there's no physical way she could be still be alive at this point. We're just more curious about what happened. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and she should be actually be um, almost 117 by now. 170. Oh, I had I yes, that's right. Didn't carry the one. Didn't carry the one. Yes. Thank you. But what's interesting is here, uh, like I say, we 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 don't re- often reference it, but cracked.com uh, is hilarious because they have a very funny way of expressing themselves, but they do pretty solid research to support their their claims, and they're claiming that the mystery's really been solved for about 70 years now. Like, they, they found remains on the island in 1940. Which island? Uh, the island that she was supposed to have landed on. Howland? Uh, found on an island. They don't specify the island. This is the next hypothesis. Yes, this is the, this is the other... Okay. Yeah. Now, to be fair, though, they do mention that it was only partial remains because uh, it's likely that crabs took the bones for other, other reasons. Uh, so they were never able to pull up a full skeleton. But um, the island was just southeast of the path where Amelia Earhart was headed, so it was on the flight path. Yes, and this this the name of this island is uh, called Gardner Island. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what it was called at the time. Now it's called, and forgive me, listeners from Japan, Nikamororo Island, um, which is what it's known now, and that is about 350 miles southeast of Gardner Island. Okay. The thing is, it's a much bigger island than Howler Island, so people started to, have to hypothesize. Well, if you're Amelia Earhart, you're not you're not a dumb pilot. You're a good pilot. You're a smart person. You know what's going on. That you might have seen a bigger island and thought you could get there, right? For some other reason that we don't, that we won't know about. Maybe there's mechanical failure. Maybe that they're realizing yeah. they're running out of fuel. Yes, and th- this is still kind of falling in the theory that they were running out of fuel, and that was the yeah. biggest problem. Like that's that's kind of accepted as the reason for the crash, whatever it is. Right okay. now, is is because they're running out of fuel. But at the time, that island was uninhabited. Gotcha. Gardner Island it was uninhabited. It's not anymore. There's there's a naval base was built there in 1945 because of the Pacific Theater and all that jazz. But just a little thing called World War Two. No yeah, you know, no big deal. Yeah. But a lot of people think that she actually successfully landed the plane there on some coral reef and survived for a little while. And survived with uh, with Noonan there for a while until they succumbed to starvation. I mean, uninhabited island probably means not a lot of animal life to survive on. Okay. Not a lot of animal life probably means not a ton of plant life, maybe, or you know, that that we know of. There's not a lot of records on that, but they have found some interesting things on that island. Uh, and there, there's a group called the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, herefore after mentioned as TIGHAR. They've been investigating it since 1988. Mm, wow. And it, it's, it's really interesting because um, a lot of these theories are based on the fact that the, the, the ship on Howland Island thought that they heard uh, messages from Earhart on that evening that they crashed. Interesting. But they were never allowed to be able to establish a two-way connection. So, like, they would hear, they would send, but they never, you know, got in contact. They got, always get missing. Each Interesting. Other. So, as far as they're concerned, they were in the vicinity that night. Wow. So, th- all those theories about them going back to Papua New Guinea are all bogus, which we'll get into some of those later. But the fact that they may have landed at Gardner Island, and they may have survived there for a while, um, is looking to be pretty good so far. Partially because, uh, as Brian mentioned, they did find some bones on that island, what they thought to be human bones. Although, at this point, they, I think it was the uh, University of Oklahoma. Uh, could not determine whether they were that of human or that of sea turtle. Oh, yeah. So there's no way. DNA evidence is kind of ruled out. But among the things that they found on the island that raised some suspicion are some of the bronze pieces that would have been would have belonged to her plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some glass that is the same thickness as her plane would have had. Interesting. As well as some zippers for that would have been on her leather jacket. Huh. A woman's compact mirror made in America. Huh. And most notably, and this, this, one, just, this one just screams um, set up to me. Just because it, it's it's so specific, but a jar of 1930s freckle cream. Amelia Earhart was known for having freckles and known for hating them. 
Huh. So it's it's one of those things that hearing it, it seems like, oh, that's totally set up. That's too perfect. Yeah. But Tighar, uh, just last year, I think they may have found the site of the crash. They think, well, the plane's probably mostly disintegrated because of the salt water at this time. Uh, but later on this year, they're going to send an expedition down to uh, Nikamaburo Island to find and see what's there. Wow, okay. So that this is this theory is gaining a lot of traction. They found a lot of stuff here. Um, but yeah, that, that jar of freckle cream, that's what's really setting them off because they, they really think... I mean, first of all, with the freckle cream and the woman's compact, yeah. female on board. Right. Which... If it's as old as it looks like, 1930s, that really does speak to our friend Amelia. Right. And the trick would be to figure out, well, can we can we carbon date that? I don't know. It seems like it's, at this point, it's too new of an artifact to really be able to, to kind yeah, of do. Yeah, so that's probably not going to help us. It's, it, there is some speculation. I mean, this is the same island as, a, as an Air Force base, you said, or a naval base, you said, correct? Currently, yes. Yes, but that, so, that naval base wasn't built until 1944. It was almost at the end of it. Right. So, and, and reports from that naval base, they could not leave the base. They were stuck there, so they would never have had a chance to go off and explore and find uh, Earhart and Noonan. Well, that does bring up some interesting yeah. thought. So. So, yeah, those are the only two credible theories. Now let's have fun with the non-credible theories. Uh, one was flying, flying through the Bermuda Triangle, which makes literally no sense yeah, no, because she had already landed somewhere else when she flew from Miami to the other parts. Yeah, so, so they, they, were, they were clear of that for sure. Uh, my favorite one, which is just so ridiculous, was that there was a, a, a World War II movie in 1943 called Flight for Freedom, which depicted Earhart and Noonan. This, this is only seven years after their death, by the or quote-unquote death, by the way, so it's very soon, uh, which said that they were spying on the Japanese at the re- uh, request of FDR. Really? Yes. Um, there's a movie, I want to find it, because I'm sure it's awful, but all of Earhart's friends like, no, 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 that's not it. Like people were that were very close were like, that's BS. That is very, very interesting that there's this whole there's secret agents for the war effort, and it sounds very patriotic, and it does definitely evoke good historical fiction. But I mean, well, where's the evidence? Like, yeah, and that's the thing. There's been no evidence for that. Then the another theory that has been debunked is about Saipan, was that they actually turned back uh, and landed at Saipan, um, or they crashed there. And uh, it was under Japanese occupation at the time. Interesting. So that they were actually uh, captured by the Japanese. And uh, former U.S. Marine Robert Wallach claimed that he had actually found her briefcase on the island of Saipan in a safe. He never produced it. He claimed he was going to, and then he just mysteriously died. Uh, Yes, I think so. Conspiracy theory. And uh, he actually pointed people to where their bodies were buried because he claimed that there had been photographic evidence of them being shot by the Japanese and actually executed. All those photographs have been proven to be false so far, and they dug at the quote-unquote grave sites and found no bones, not even not even other people, just no bones whatsoever. Okay. So that, so, that theory's pretty much been torn wide open. That pretty much is pretty 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 gone. A um, couple more. Uh, a Tokyo Rose rumor saying that they were again captured by the Japanese and forced to read radio broadcasts. Uh, Tokyo Rose is a group of Asian women that were um, doing English-language broadcasts in order to demoralize Allied troops at the time. Wow. Uh, and that the rumor that she was one of these women, uh, her actual husband, George Putnam, uh, listened to these recordings and said, no, that's not her. Gotcha. So he listened to a bunch of those and said, like, nope, it's not it. Another said that they might have turned back mid-flight, realizing they weren't going to make it, and landed at New Britain, which is uh, northeast of Papua New Guinea, about 2,200 miles. And it's about, no, sorry, it's about 2,200 miles from Howland. This is pretty much debunked because mathematically they couldn't make it on the fuel they had. Yeah. Um, especially if people at Howland did hear her radio waves. Yeah. Like, on the off chance that she was able to glide on air currents 
That, yeah. Yeah, but even then, I mean, these planes were pretty heavy, so that, that would be high, highly unlikely. Yeah, and then there was there was another guy, like a, there was an Australian army vet who said, like, oh yeah, I found a plane, it, and you know, looks like an Electra, it looks like you know Earhart's plane. Um, he even like provided like numbers, but he, and he drew hand drawn maps to the plane, but no one ever found anything. And then he died in 2004. So that kind of went away with that. Wow. There was one real interesting theory about 1970 that said that she actually assumed another identity. Mm. That she actually made it made so it somewhere. This is the whole, I'm fed up with being a celebrity, I want to just want to live a new life kind of yes. uh, theory. That everyone says. There's one about Elvis that yeah. said the, the and same it's, thing. It, like, I, get the, I get the draw from it. Like It's a super romantic idea that you know this person fakes their death tragically to pursue a life of yeah. of, um, of solace. But Most recently, Andy Kaufman is the, is really. the, the recent uh, claimer to this. And they even had an actor. Uh, well, but the, actually, the funny thing is the family's in on it because they his brother actually hired a girl that looks like uh, his daughter <sighs> to say that he was like a daughter or she was a daughter that he had after. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's the absurdity of Andy Kaufman uh, the, that lives on. But uh, anyway, case in point, it's a trope that has been repeated mm-hmm. over yes. and over again. Yeah. And, and this, this whole thing was debunked because this woman, uh, Irene Bolum, she denies it. She sued a lot of people. At the time, for like 1.5 million, they settled out of court. Wow! And that was in 1970. Uh, and, and in 2006, uh, National Geographic went into this quite a bit. This one claim, and they proved it to be false. Like, there's no way that she could ever be it. And yeah, those are all the kind of the wacko theories, the ones yeah. that have been debunked at this point. It is really fascinating what the human mind will go through when they they want to find an answer for something that mm-hmm. they don't have the answer to. So they will invent almost any theory. Yeah. To connect and, those dots. And even George Putnam, like, obviously, you know, they were married for almost 10 years. Uh, yeah. After, after she disappeared, uh, at the time, the typical time you'd have to wait to declare someone dead was seven years. And he pushed that up to two years so he could take control of her trust and fund all these expeditions to go find her. Wow. Uh, he also remarried five months after he declared her dead, so I'm not sure that was the exact reason, but... Well, and like, like they said, they, yeah. had, they had an understanding, right? They didn't have yes, to be... absolutely. So I'm sure there was a lot of... Deep respect and love for one another, but mm-hmm. you know, they yeah, could he, see where they were, they were wanting to see. Absolutely, and he died in 1950 without any real answer to what was going on with this. Mm. Um, which sure was, had an impact on him, yeah. Yeah, I mean that, that's tough. So that's where we're sitting. Ne- maybe later this year we'll find the Electra. Maybe we won't. We'll see what happens. So really, like I said, this is a semi-unsolved mystery yes. because we we have a lot of credible evidence that supports how she may have died. Mm-hmm. We do know that she did not make it past that flight. Uh, where it crashed and how long she lived after the crash, if she lived the crash, those are the things that are still being determined. And a lot of that we'll never know because if you know if they did die on the beach out there, um, it's like you know, like Brian mentioned, crabs are just being washed out to sea or whatever normal natural decom- decomposition yeah. in that hot, humid weather. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that we also didn't even talk about the fact that she could have crashed into the ocean too, right? And mm-hmm. if, like she, if she flat out sank. Came over. They, at that they've point. they've dragged the seas around Howland Island quite a bit. That yeah. was one of the first places they checked. Yeah, to um, see if there was a subterranean. Yeah, but now with with new you know satellite imagery and you know being able to scan and things like that, we're able to actually uh, look a little bit deeper, which is nice. Uh, so, folks, we would love to hear what you think of the Amelia Earhart mystery. 
which theory do you think seems most plausible? Uh, favorite things about her, what the example that she gave, all that kind of stuff. We'd love to hear you reach out to us through nerdonomy.com or through our social media sites at Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for having me on, Brian. Of course. Um, thank you for filling in, man. And, uh, you know, we should definitely keep an eye out this year because there's actually another woman, uh, a pilot from Denver named Amelia Rose Earhart, who's going to attempt the exact same journey. Interesting. Yeah. And she no no relation to Earhart. Not that I can tell. Gotcha. You um, just changed her name because she yeah, was but, idolizing her. Yeah. Well, the memorial flight. So we'll have to see if she disappears too. Maybe we'll put a GP, like an iPhone on her and we'll track her. Wow. Uh, it would be very interesting to see what happens at, at this point. And of course, we have, we have to follow up on this episode because once they find the mm-hmm. findings, we'll have to at least fill everyone in about it. Yeah. So folks, we are a user-supported podcast. Yes, we do have the ads. We've talked about that. But we do still accept donations. And believe me, we need them. So if you uh, have it in your heart and in your wallet, please go to neuronomy.com and click the donate button. And you can help us out with any small amount or a large amount of money. And uh, we also have a lot of great information for where you can go and learn more about Amelia Earhart. Uh, there's her website, AmeliaEarhart.com. Yeah, there's it's a the, beautifully done website. Indeed. Uh, that's from her family. And then there's also the Amelia Earhart Museum, uh, where there's lots of great information available there as well. And we'll post those whenever we post the show notes for the, uh, the episode. Um, mea culpa, I've been behind on that. But we'll, we'll get it done eventually, I promise. Evan, again, thank you for filling in. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting to do this show for such a long time. Of course. Uh, and I'm very happy that I was finally able to sit here and do it. And you are always welcome back. Thank you. I appreciate always, always, that. Always, always. Whether you're just the guest or you're the co-host. So, folks, until we meet again, stay nerdy. And tune into us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Swim, don't sink. Bye. Look, I don't like doing this. Uh, why? I just want to know who did it. I didn't do anything, Brian. You know me. You son of a... I'm going to ask you again, and then I'm going to start to flatten your toes. Oh, God, no. Who shot Eric? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. No, okay, okay, okay. So yeah, I um, I, I did come over that night and I saw it. I saw it through the window and um, Brian, you're wrong. What do you mean? It wasn't a he. It was a she. What? Well, I feel like a total lutz. Can I have my finger back? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll see you um, around. Yeah. I'll catch you later, Brian. Right. Have a good night.